This is the Sport Lifestyle Network podcast, where relationships matter. Conversations between thought leaders from sports, fitness, and tech. The SLN podcast starts now. This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth. A digital partner to the ambitious, the creative engine launching brands and igniting growth. The unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. This is Chad Capelman. I had the chance to catch up with Jamie Mottram, president of meme-based apparel maker Breaking Tea. The company leverages real-time social monitoring to design, produce, and sell a selection of hundreds of t-shirts in close to real time. The shirts capture moments and trending memes. They become must-have additions to the collections of sports fans and players alike and are licensed by college and pro teams, the Players Associations of Baseball, Basketball, and the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. I talked with Jamie about how his past experiences at places like AOL, Yahoo, USA Today, and others prepared him for his current role. We explored the roller coaster ride of getting from meme to merchandise in a matter of just hours. We talked about his favorite shirt from Breaking Tea and how the community around women's sports is like no other and how to deal with a self-described, quote, bunch of jerks. Jamie Mottram, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're at Breaking Tea, which bills itself as providing, quote, real-time, moment-driven, high-quality, great-looking, super-comfy shirts. I first off want to say thank you for including the super-comfy part in there, because I feel like that's a missing component sometimes of what people really need when they're embracing a shirt they're going to wear for, for, for the long term. So, so well done on that front. Well, it's important because, you know, we don't want people buying a real-time piece of crap. You know, it's like a lot of stuff that you can get that's quick turn that's inspired by, you know, what's trending in the moment. Sometimes, you know, that's, that sort of product can suffer on the quality front, but we, we want these products, these t-shirts, sweatshirts, you know, whatever it is that people are buying from us, we want these to be like cherished keepsakes, things that can last and stand the test of time. And you also have that you know, affiliation with was it seventy professional sports teams and major college athletic programs, working with athletes, um, including MLBPA, National Basketball Players Association, Women's National Basketball mm-hmm. um, Association, Major League Soccer, I believe, and the Women's U.S. National Soccer Team, mm-hmm. among others. So I imagine that that's another motivator to make sure the quality is up to that level if you're going to be kind of in conjunction with those groups. That's right. You w- you want to get it right, and you know we have our own price point that people can pay when they go to breakingtea.com, but our products travel and are sold in venue. Uh, We've seen some pretty high prices. So we want to be able to live up to that and make sure the customer's happy. What's your current hottest seller? Right now, uh, let me see. We had, uh, we just did something uh, with Bryson DeChambeau uh, that's sort of interesting. He had a big moment last weekend and I'm not a golf guy. So pardon me if I mess this up, but like he, I think he drove a green on a par four and like, as the ball was in flight, he kind of like raised his hands up and celebrated and the crowd around the tee was going nuts. It was 
for for me and like for our what our social da- data analytics tell us it was like the best moment of the golf season so far this year and we we did a design uh capturing that moment um and are, are working with both bryson and uh, our partners at golf magazine uh to get that out in front of golf fans so that that's a fun example of what we do and and the different parties that are involved and it's happening right now can you talk me through the process because i i appreciate it on some levels i can sort of see i can imagine what it must have taken but just you know something happens i know you have a lot of background in kind of awareness if you will from sort of digital media tools Uh, but just talk me through like the tip if there's a typical process for kind of moment to merchandise yeah, I mean, we say moment to market in 24 hours or less. You know, our tagline is where the moment and we want to identify what happens or what's happening and determine if that if that thing should be uh if it's wearable, you know, if it should be merchandise or not. And then if so, like what that should look like creatively, uh what the color story should be, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and get the design team rolling on it uh, so that we have a finished graphic and a finished product that we can submit to our license holders for approval uh, and go to market with all within a 24-hour window. You know, so a lot of times we talk about, you know, night of, morning after. Something happens on a Sunday afternoon. We're shooting to go to market like Sunday night or Monday morning. And, you know, in the, in the apparel industry, that's like absurd, you know, that's, that's regarded as, um, just like crazy fast, too fast. Uh, you know, we can't, we can't like our buyers can't cut purchase orders fast enough (laughs) to keep up with it. Um, but with my background in the media world, like, you know, I used to work on, you know, websites and podcasts and blogs and, and social media accounts for, for newsrooms and with news organizations. Um, we're super slow, you know, like, like creating great artwork takes hours. Creating like a quick blog post takes minutes. So it's just like a kind of a, a different format and a different, you know, like output than what I've accustomed to over the course of my career. And it's relatively slow in media content terms, but it's like blazing fast in licensed apparel terms. And I know that you've um, had spent time at places like Yahoo and AOL, and then you were senior director of social content and strategy at USA Today. And um, did you start the FTW series there? Yeah, uh, for the win, FTW Mm -hmm. at... um, at, well, it's at USA Today, yep. you know, which is part of Gannett. Mm-hmm. Within Gannett, I worked in a, a, a division called the USA Today Sports Media Group. Mm-hmm. And that was like USA Today Sports plus the sports uh, departments of all of the Gannett papers plus this network of digital sports properties that they developed and and for the win was was one that we were that we developed and that was born out of that um you know probably six or seven years ago at this point and and it's still going yeah and it would pop up in places that i didn't always expect um and then i know you also had a blog called mr irrelevant focused on dc sports um i sort of thought of you as like a like a fan advocate 
or, or someone that kind of helps bring a lot of the joy of sports to the fan base. Is, is that a fair way to look at? Yeah. I mean, so it was kind of a hybrid because I, I was blogging about my favorite teams and just blogging about sports at, at mystery relevant, like the blog still exists and there's still like a podcast, you know, me and my buddy, Matt talk about, you know, the Washington football team every week, but yeah, so I was doing that and then also kind of trying to cultivate this network of fan blogs um, at AOL. And this is like in the 2000s as blogging was really kind of coming to the fore, you know, but we were doing it at at a network and on a platform that also employed a lot of real journalists, you know, that this is their profession. Uh, whether they were columnists or reporters or editors or producers. So it was this blend of, of like the fan perspective and opinion and commentary kind of blended in with real reporting and, and kind of like, you know, trained journalism. Um, and I thought that that was a, a good dynamic. I thought it was a good blend. You know, it's like, I want both as a fan. Um, and we kind of kept blending that, you know, I went from AOL to Yahoo and we kind of did like a next ver- level version of that where we hired full-time bloggers. And a lot of them had, uh, you know, media and journalism backgrounds, but they too kind of in- infused that with this fan perspective. And, you know, sometimes that's with humor. Uh, sometimes that's with, you know, opinion, hot takes. Um, it was kind of a, a blend of all these things. Uh, and I don't know, I think it was just, I think like digital sports media in general, as it is now, and as it was through like the 2010s was very, um, influenced by digital sports media of the, of the aughts where you had this like rise of the blogger happening. And then, um, you joined breaking tea in 2017, um, as president, I believe, is that right? And then what, what was the big factor in, in you deciding to go there? Well, I was at a little bit of a crossroads of like, you know, what next after I'd spent, you know, roughly five years each at AOL, Yahoo, and, and Gannett slash USA Today. Um, and I was just trying to figure it out and I was trying to be very open-minded. Um, I also, you know, wanted to live wherever um, I happen to live in Wilmington, North Carolina, and have been here at the beach for 12 to 13 years now. So I wanted to keep that going um, and you know, didn't really want to pick up the family and you know, start something new in, in kind of a major um, you know, center of media or commerce. So you know, looking at it through that lens, I it forced me to kind of get creative and, um, you know, found through a mutual connection, um, breaking tea, which at, you know, existed at the time. Uh, it was no one's full-time concern. Uh, it was a very small startup done on the side, um, by two entrepreneurs and co-founders in the DC area, um, who were, felt like they were onto something. They had built you know, a, a low six figure business. Um, they had picked up an MLB players association license. They had developed some media partnerships, especially with like SB nation team sites. 
um, and they they had kind of proved this concept uh, of you know real time uh, sports merch, you know, powered by social data. That was kind of the you know the bedrock. Um, so they they raised a little bit of money and brought me on as the first full time employee uh, that year, even though I had no uh, no background in apparel or e commerce. Um, but I did have this like sports background and social media background and, um, you know, kind of a, I think a, um, you know, an approach that was very you know, well aligned. Um, and we just kind of took, took the leap together. I'm wondering, did the experience with the, for the win, and you were talking about kind of career journalists at USA Today and, and you're sort of, you could be perceived as like a bull in a China shop kind of thing, just because it's different from what they're accustomed to traditionally, historically, um, did, did you get a sense of, um, that maybe coming into play, um, what you're talking about, like within the apparel industry, the fast turnaround, the sort of like, there's different ways to do things and we're going to, we're going to try it our way and, and, and just how that all kind of works out. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think we're, uh, you know, you hear about disruption a lot, uh, in entrepreneurial circles, uh, we're disruptive, not necessarily just because we're, we're doing something differently, but we're disruptive because we're doing it so fast. You know, there's really, there's really like, you know, no, um, there's no speed fast enough when there's a big moment unfolding, you know, when, uh, let me, let me think about, you know, some, an example, um, you know, last summer, the Padres hit grand slams in four games in a row and the, on the fourth night, uh, when when the fourth one happened, they rebranded themselves the Slam Diego Padres. You know, like so they're like social media accounts. Like the name was literally Slam Diego. So we we created a design, you know, that night, and we had it licensed by the Major League Baseball Players Association because the players, you know, inspired it. Um, either that night or that morning, you know, we went to market, but you know. The, the best possible version of that would be immediately going to market. You know, we might've been there at like hour eight after the moment, but like we're just rushing, rushing, rushing and, and trying to get to market with the you know best possible um, product licensed as soon as it can possibly get there. So we were pretty fast. We beat everybody else for sure. Um, but then it's like pulling the rest of the industry um, to act quickly enough to keep up with us. And that could be, um, our retail buyers, you know, they, like we, we are sold in, um, Dick's sporting goods nationwide and Dick's is really fast, but again, you can't be too fast because we still have to like print and ship and get the shirts unboxed and out on the floor. Like there's still going to be like a 48 hour window from when we've got the product ready to when they're actually selling it to customers in store. Um, so that could be one partner that we're kind of pulling with us. Um, the Padres themselves, you know, they didn't have fans in the stadium, but they had like pop-up shops, like retail spaces across San Diego. You know, they're used to figuring out what the assortment is going to be for those shops like months in advance. So here's this thing that happens, like a tidal wave. 
so they've got to act really quick in a way that they're not accustomed to. Like usually, and it's like the biggest thing since Ron Burgundy, right? The yeah, biggest thing since Ron, probably the biggest thing. Like you know, no joke. Like since they went to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like you know, the, we had the team needs to act really fast, and you know, for mutual benefit here, you know, us, them, the fans, you know, everybody involved, the players because they're participating through the PA. Um, the players wanted the shirts. They all wanted to wear them at batting practice, like the next day or two days later. And again, like this is unusual. So what we're doing is like, we have to like figure this out and like twist arms and, you know, act really quick on the fly. And maybe it's a Friday night, doesn't matter. But, you know, we do it, we do it over and over again. And, you know, the happy ending is like Slam Diego ended up being our biggest selling baseball product last year. Fernando Tatis Jr. not only wore it at batting practice for the next game or whatever game, like two days later, uh, but he wore it after the game for his sit-down interview with Scott Van Pelt. You know, so... Can't beat that. So it's like, you know, you are kind of a bull in a china shop because it's like an emergency situation in a good way when these moments happen. And you just got to, you know, hustle like crazy. Um, but the reward is, is really special. That's a great story. And, and there's another one that I really love. Um, it just seems to cover so much about what you're about. Um, can you tell me the story of a bunch of jerks? Bunch of jerks is the best. <laughs> it's the best. Um, so I will tell you this. I, I actually told this to a, uh, potential strategic partner like last week. So I'm pretty practiced on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So bunch of jerks two years ago, it was a Saturday night and the hurricanes had been doing their on ice storm surge, the Carolina hurricanes, their storm surge celebration after every home ice win. And they were getting really creative. Like they'd pretend they were bowling or they'd pretend that they were like having a dance party or whatever on the ice after a win. So that night, that Saturday night, uh, Don Cherry, you know, uh, old <laughs> very very influential sartorial uh, genius yeah, yeah I don't know <laughs> uh old <laughs> yeah, anyways, he went on a hockey night in canada that night and called them a bunch of jerks and he wasn't joking he was like you know this is disrespectful so the hurricanes they're awesome on social media i've gotten to work with their marketing team a bit and uh they took ownership of that you know they changed their Twitter bio to a bunch of jerks. And I think they posted like some gifts of like, what, what's the Simpsons gif of like, get off my lawn. Is it like Homer's dad? Old man yells at cloud. The old man, maybe that was it. Yeah. Old man yells at cloud. So they were really like owning it. And again, it was Saturday night. And this is like just a random hockey occurrence. It wasn't like we were watching out for this, but we, have created a, a platform, a social data analytics platform called CrowdBreak that identifies these moments. So if something starts over-indexing within a certain topic or a certain market with a certain team, uh, it alerts our team to that. So our team was alerted on Saturday night, like bunch of jerks. What what is this? Oh, this is something. <laughs> you know, this is something really interesting. So we had worked with the Canes before uh on some shirts that they sold in in the arena and we got in touch with them that night and it just that i mean late saturday night was that you know it kind of came to the point where they were like we definitely want to 
to bring in a shirt or, or an assortment of apparel for this. We want it to be at the next game. The game is on Tuesday. Uh, give us a bunch of designs and we'll, sh- this is going to go all the way to the top. We'll share them with our owner and let you know. So that night uh, we assigned, because, you know, we have a, a team of artists, uh, some are on staff full time and some are freelance uh, kind of around the world. So we can, you know, get things done quickly, regardless of when it is. Uh, we assigned this out to one of our, our artists that, whose skills were pretty well aligned with what we wanted creatively. And we all woke up to him. He had shared like 10 options overnight for a bunch of jerks. So we just forwarded it to the, the hurricanes. And by noon on Sunday, the owner had picked one. Like this is a bunch of jerks. This is what we're going with. And by that afternoon, the t- Sunday afternoon, the canes were putting it out on social. They were pre-selling it in their uh, online store. They placed a big ass order for us to fulfill on Monday to have in the arena on Tuesday. That's a technical term, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Big ass order is like the maximum quantity. order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, like that, uh, that was a huge hit right out of the gate. Like ESPN, USA Today, SI, we're writing stories about the shirt. You know, not just the the moment, but the shirt. It was like fuel on the fire. And uh, I think that we sold to the team because it had the Canes logo on it. So it was like an exclusive for the Canes. Um, We sold over 25,000 of those shirts to the Canes. And then they sold over 25,000 to their fans at over $30 per shirt. That one graphic was a million-dollar retail item. And it wasn't just the revenue or like all the relevance of like, you know, teams writing about their response to Don Cherry yelling at cloud. It was also like a big part of their marketing, like Zion Williamson, who was at Duke at the time, like for March Madness at Duke was wearing the shirt and repping the canes. Ron Rivera, the coach of the Panthers was wearing the shirt and repping the canes. They started projecting our graphic on the ice during the storm surges so they were storm surging and celebrating on the bunch of jerks logo you know so that was just an amazing moment and like pretty much like a perfect example of what we do in a weird way it reminds me of the movie almost famous where you kind of go from like one moment of normal to a whole other perspective on the world and getting swept up in something (laughs) well and you and you also you know, there's a lot of drugs in Almost Famous. It's it's very like addicting, like addictive, like like drugs. Like we're like craving the next moment. You know, where, where are we going to get our next hit? <laughs> Speaking of addictions, um, you know, there's been so much talk about click-driven metrics and journalism. You know, being portrayed as a bad thing and all. But but whenever a team, a moment bursts on the scene like this, these entities have a void to fill. As everything is about kept capturing the moment and capturing the meme. Um, when a team bursts on the scene or a player has a moment, there sort of creates this appetite from the audience for more and more and more. And so you'll see like the TV station or, you know, another website article or whatever. And, and they're just the, the litany of breaking tea articles because of the, the way you sort of fill that void um, is impressive. And, and I just, I'm just kind of curious about 
how much that aspect of it has sort of helped you all grow your footprint? Well, it, it sort of snowballs and, you know, like, uh, I think right now you're looking at baseball, like the hottest player in the game is Fernando Tatis Jr. Normally we would do like maybe one thing for a player who's, who's hot or, you know, and then kind of wait for his next, his or her next big moment. But with a player like Tatis, there's like such an unquenchable thirst for for like new and different stuff with him. So we keep kind of adding on and dropping new, you know, new options for people and offering them an assortment of sizes. And now we have more and more partners, you know, whether it's like the Padres or, or Dick's or, um, you know, fanatics, um, you know, or even a media partner, you know, within that market. So it all kind of like keeps, keeps leveling up. And, uh, you know, the fun thing though, is like, we, we can, we can sort of do whatever we want. It's such a small place. Like I'm, I'm always someone who, who kind of keeps score and part of why I like to keep score, whether it's with page views or followers or sales or whatever is like, if you know, if you know what the scoreboard looks like, you're more likely to put points on the board. You know, like if you know the situation, if you know what's working, if you, if you're keeping track, um, you know, you're going to be more likely, uh, you know, to, to perform, you know, better and better. But the good thing about breaking tea is like, it's such a small place and we've grown since I was the first full-time employee now, and now we're up in that like 10 to 15 range full-timers, but we can kind of just pick and choose what we want to do and just answer to ourselves. So if we want to do something silly, <laughs> if we want to do something that maybe, you know, is for us. Um, and not just because we know it's going to sell, you know, we, we can do that and we can have some fun with it. Um, and this might be why, you, you know, you see a couple grateful dead influence designs on our website. Uh, I like the dead. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we do some for them and some for us. In terms of the choices you make too, um, and thinking about the for the wind from back in the USA today, have you ever thought of like an FML section thinking maybe for like New York jets fans? An FNL? An FML as an F my life. Oh, oh yes. I'm sorry. I thought you said FNL. I was like Friday Night Lights was was a really good show. Yeah. <laughs> um it, it, we have done some Friday Night Lights uh enthused, you know, informed product. Um with FML, that's actually interesting because we've so I'm a Washington football team fan. And I think I think the WFT and the New York Jets, uh, you know, there's some commonalities there. Um, we've had some really successful, self-deprecating Washington football team-inspired products. Uh, I don't know that we've yet found the right groove with the Jets. Um, I think maybe it's been too sad. <laughs> I feel like some of the funniest people I know are Jets fans talking about being Jets fans and that that's yeah. really where that question came from. Yeah. I mean, we've 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 done pretty well with with some Washington football. Like they won the division last year and uh, you know, they were a losing team. So That really happened? I, I really thought I was imagining all of that. Yeah, so we we just did a shirt that said like WFT happened. And it said like seven and nine champs or something. Mm -hmm. And that sold so well because it was like, as a fan, I don't think any of us want a division champion shirt. 
like that's just sort of sad to like celebrate making the playoffs versus like being an actual champion. But for a team like Washington or the Jets and a team that goes seven and nine and a team that goes seven and nine while not having a name, it's like funny. It's like you're not so much proud that your team won the division, but it's funny and clever. And like if you wear that shirt, you're going to like it's going to start a conversation with somebody, you know, in like a good way, you know. Um, And that just happens all the time with our stuff, too, is, um, you know, I was wearing a shirt, uh, one of our shirts the other day that said won the fight. And it was kind of like this cool, like stencil um, streetwear kind of look. Um, and it had like 2019 world champs kind of as a small footnote. And, and, uh, a guy was like, what, what is that? You know, what is that shirt? And it started a whole conversation about, it was for the nationals winning the world series. And now their slogan was stay in the fight. And, you know, he, you know, his response is like, oh yeah. Cause they were like, uh, they were in last place in may or whatever, you know, it's so like those conversation starters that you don't necessarily get if you're just wearing a traditional, you know, division champ shirt Mm -hmm. there's you know the passionate passionate sports fans it's a double-edged sword right there's a dark side to that and there can be that temptation to go darker in terms of the tone um (laughs) i'm I'm wondering do you talk about sort of editorial boundaries does the the licensing deals kind of help simplify that a little bit yeah well i mean it makes it on on one side it kind of compromises you you know we're not going to do something that's anti major league baseball players because we're partners with major league baseball players. You know, we don't have like an editorial, uh, you know, independence. There's no wall, you know, between our creative team and, and like the business side, like there might be, you know, at the New York times or whatever. Um, so, you know, sometimes we rub up against that though, you know, and there's some friction, like, uh, one example, and I don't think it would get anybody in trouble, but when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts to the Dodgers, uh, Red Sox fans were livid, absolutely livid. And I think one of the reasons why Boston made that trade is to like get under the luxury tax, which they would have like gone over if they had re-signed Betts, I, I think was the case. So we did a graphic that was unlicensed. And it looked kind of like a championship pennant. And it said like under the luxury tax champs 2020 (laughs) or or whatever year it was. Um, And we put that out there thinking that was kind of benign and like kind of pro player. You know, we didn't think Mm -hmm. that would offend anyone and fans loved it. But, you know, we did hear from some of our partners um, like, hey, this is putting us in a tough spot. You know, so we, we did take that down. We stopped selling it, you know, out of respect for, for a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, just, it's, a, it's not everybody's always aligned. It's not always going to be like fans and players and teams and leagues and retailers. And, you know, another one was we put out something that was um, kind of supportive of Anthony Rendon re-signing with the Nats um, during his free agency year. And that was very pro-player. Uh, but it wasn't really pro team or team owner. And we work with the Nats a lot. You know, we had a breaking tea store inside a Nats park the last season that there were fans in the park. Um, so, you know, sometimes 
there is some conflict and we tend to err on the side of being somewhat conflict free. Mm-hmm. Um, the one type of conflict that is inevitable and that we live with is like between fan bases. Like if we do anything that's pro Astros, nobody else likes that, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to do something that's pro every team. You know, we're going to do pro Yankees and pro Red Sox. And, uh, yeah, I think that's okay. I think everybody understands that in a sports context. Yeah, the tribe is foundational in yeah. terms of each team and the allegiance. But that doesn't um, mean they, they're going to like it. You know, we've got a ton of Nats fans. And if we do something pro-Braves, they're, it, it's, a, it's tricky. It's a little tricky because, we, you know, we want to be very localized and very relevant within a fan base. And it's hard to do that when you're also serving other fans. In, in terms of other fans, too, um, the, the, the products you have that focus on women's sports um, is also seems to be growing, not just the women's national soccer team, but um, I saw shirts that said, know your worth, put women's sports on TV, invest in women's sports. Can you talk about that aspect of the business and, and how you see that evolving? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in very general terms, it's growing business. You know, women's sports is a growing business and we've been partnered with WNBA players and U.S. women's national team players in soccer um, for about three years now. You know, so we've seen very steady growth um, with those partnerships. Um, we've had, you know, a lot of success and and kind of newfound success with our national retail partners uh, carrying these products and and kind of you know serving those those fan bases. Um, it's just a it's a wildly different dynamic. You know, when you're licensed by the NBA players, it's almost like the market is so saturated and the players are so, you know, they have so many off the court deals that it's almost like, you know, they could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. But with the WNBA players, it's not like that at all. You know, these are players that are average or the you know mean sal- uh, median salary is, is, you know, five figures. Um, so this is meaningful. And they're much more involved. They're much more supportive. And what I think is wild and like just crazy respect to these women is like they are so much like compared to the, the their male counterparts, they're so underpaid, yet they are so generous with their earnings and the causes that they support. Uh, it's it's inspiring. It's awesome to work with them. In terms of um, picking topics and picking phrases, um, I've done my share of headline writing over the years, and there's always that balance of, like, is this too inside baseball? Pardon the pun. Um, but I guess with the metrics and all, the way you sort of have a platform to elevate what people are talking about, that kind of eliminates a little bit of that concern, I would imagine. Yeah, well, you know, we can – everything we're doing is quantifiable and you know the the kind of quantitative aspect of it is what elevates things to to reach our kind of judgment level to begin with you know so anything that we're doing is already um is already got you know attention or potential to kind of um snowball you know we're just kind of amplifying it and monetizing it um you know, and one thing that's interesting, um, interesting dynamic, I guess you could say this with NBA, but it's a little less pronounced. 
with like MLB, NHL, NFL, it's so tribal. Like if we do something for the Dodgers, you know, Nats fans do not care. <laughs> like, like they, if they care at all, it's, it's to be annoyed by it. Same with, you know, hockey or, or football. But if we do something in the W, uh, NBA, like the whole, like all the fans care, they're all into it. And we'll see customers, like we'll see a shopping cart with like three different teams represented. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. It's more like kind of a blanket support. Um, and we see much more social engagement, you know, at least for our products. Um, again, because I think there's just like less noise. So, you know, the signal cuts through. So in the past year, you know, with the pandemic, with bubbles, with no fans in the stands, weird schedules, overlap of, of games. Um, what's the past year in sports kind of been like from your perspective? Man, um, it was really hairy there from like last March 12th. I can't remember if the date was March 11th or March 12th, the, the, the Rudy Gobert night, uh, when, when the jazz didn't play, um, that from that moment all through into the summer, uh, was a, a very dicey situation for us because we had no live sports. And we had no retail, you know, brick and mortar retail. So live sports is like that fuels our business uh, from a product standpoint. Mm -hmm. Brick and mortar retail, historically, like leading up to that point a year ago, was like 60% of our sales. So we were just used to going up and up and up and up. You know, I joined in. 17, 18 was obviously our best year ever. 19 was, you know, doubled 18, 2020 was looking great. And then COVID hit and, and Q2 of last year was just brutal. Um, but we got creative. Our whole team stayed on tact or intact. Um, we kept everybody, you know, on board at the levels that they were at leading into it. And, um, we just kind of, you know, try, tried to figure out new ways of doing things. And, you know, one of those things was, you know, how do we keep going to market with fresh products when we don't have live sports? How do we keep sales afloat when we don't have a wholesale business to retailers? And, you know, what we came out of that was with, you know, a much stronger evergreen business. Evergreen is what we call like our products that aren't necessarily like flash moments that are inspired by current events. Um, and we bolster our, our, our direct consumer online business, our e-commerce business, um, you know, above and beyond where it ever was before, you know, so we, we, we came out of last year, like Q2 was really, was really tough, but we rallied, uh, you know, up and up Q4 ended up being our best quarter ever and 2020 ended up being our best year ever. You know, we were still able to grow almost 40% year over year. We didn't hit our goal that we had set, but you know, I was just glad we still had a business. <laughs> and, of course. And, uh, you know, 21 is off to a great start. This quarter is, is again, our best quarter ever. You know, we're used to each quarter being our best ever. So it was nice to get back on track these past two quarters with that sort of cadence. And we started hiring again. You know, we didn't make one hire in 2020 because of the pandemic. 
mm-hmm. kept everybody intact, but we started hiring again and we've already added a few new people to the mix. Um, and yeah, I just feel if you had told me a year ago that we'd be where we are now in March, 2021, I would have been thrilled, you know? So it just, it was a roller coaster, but we've, we've ended in a good place. And so as you're growing and as you're adding new partners, um, I imagine that there's a, a kind of a critical onboarding training component to give your partners a sense of what it is they're about to embark upon. Is that something that you kind of factor in or is it kind of a play it by ear or how does that work? Uh, well, which type of partner? Like a licensing partner? I'm thinking like a team. Yeah. That needs anything with approval processes. Yeah. So most of our licensing. Yeah. So we're doing this right now for, for, with some of our college partners for March Madness, um, you know, both men's and women's tournaments. Um, we, we were kind of new to the college space. You know, we, we started more focused on pro and we've kind of transitioned into college with pro, you know, the, it, it's wonderful that they have like players associations. You can get group licenses, players inspire most of the moments. If you've got a group license, it doesn't matter which player inspires the unexpected, delightful, surprising moment. We've got it covered, you know, so those group licenses are great, but with colleges, it's institution by institution. You have to go one by one. And you can't do anything with athletes, of course. Um, so it's a much different dynamic. And we're onboarding a bunch of schools for the NCAA tournament. And a big part of that onboarding is like, you know, when your moment happens, you know, when UMBC beats number one seed UVA, that's not like a let's do something next week situation. That's like a let's do something tonight situation where we're going to market by dawn while people are freaking out and waking up hungover, <laughs> you know? Um, and and that's really the big thing is like, like, let's cut down the friction. Let's set up a chain of command where there is like a, a quick response is insured um, so that we can go to market not only with a great product that fans are going to love, but a great product that the schools can participate in as well. That's great. Um, last question, sort of a two-parter. Um, one, how many Breaking Tea t-shirts do you personally have? And which one is your favorite or the one you wear the most? My God. I, I probably, Ballpark number is fine. <laughs> yeah, I probably have, I, mean, I certainly have more than 50 Breaking Teas at this point. Um, I mean, we put out, probably 750 different graphics last year. So, you know, I'm very choosy with what I bring in. Um, I'm in right now I'm wearing, uh, you know, one of the things we did creatively last year is, you know, looked at classic moments instead of just current events. And uh, during the pandemic, there was kind of a blend of the two with the last dance airing um, each week on ESPN. So one of the shirts we did last year, and you know, again, I live in North Carolina, was like you know the classic Bulls PA announcer intro, where he's like in introducing the Bulls players, and he's like from North Carolina, at guard, six foot six. <laughs> so I've got that graphic. That's a very Bullsy looking Michael Jordan inspired uh, shirt. Um, but I think my favorite one might be. Um, do the Soto shuffle 
we did a shirt for Juan Soto and the kind of batting batter's box shuffle that he does after every pitch. It's been very popular. I love Juan Soto. Um, I just love that shirt. It's totally unlike anything on the market. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very breaking tea. That's great. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Um, this, this has been fantastic. And um, I wish you luck in your closet expansion efforts in the future. Yeah. Th- and I just got a, a notification for my next meeting. It's not going to be nearly as fun as this. I probably won't get to talk about myself and my company as much. Uh, thank you for affording us the opportunity. If anybody listening wants to learn more about Breaking Tea, holler at me, jamie at breakingtea.com. Uh, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Thank you to our guests and sponsors. Without them, there would be no Sport Lifestyle Network. If you're listening via Apple Podcast or Spotify, be sure to rate us and subscribe. For more podcasts and to sign up for the newsletter, go to sportlifestylenetwork.com. Again, sportlifestylenetwork.com. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.